As we come to God's Word, please pray with me. Father, thank You for giving us Your Word that we might know You, uh, that we might uh, truly understand the words that we sing, How Great Thou Art. And so, Father, I pray that as we come to Your Word that You would uh, illuminate our minds, um, our hearts, our wills, our desires, that we might uh, trust you more, that we might follow after you, that we might uh, lift up our voices in praise and proclamation of your goodness and your greatness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning, like I said, is Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, these two psalms open up for us the second book of the psalm and and they are commonly held together as as one unit. And so this morning we will take them up together. Uh, it is a personal psalm and a psalm of lament. And as we read in Psalm 42, we'll see that the psalmist is in great despair, uh, that his heart is troubled. And in response, he he sort of turns inward and carries on this conversation uh, with himself. It's a, it's a one-way dialogue uh, from himself and to himself, and it's not all that helpful in moving him forward. But then as we so turn to Psalm 43, a third person is brought into the conversation. It is God himself. And so this internal dialogue moves outward and uh, the psalmist engages with God directly. And in doing so, we see how his despair turns to a strong and confident hope. And so hear this. Psalm 42 will take up in the first homily. In Psalm 43, in the second, hear the word of God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hope in God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And together, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The psalm opens up with a word picture for us. It is a picture that is intended to express the plight and the struggle and the longing that the psalmist is experiencing. He brings to our imaginations a deer, 
and it's in a dry country and it's panting for water and, and it's looking for the life giving refreshment that comes from finding uh, this stream in the midst of an arid landscape. And in the same way, the writer, he sees himself in a dry, steep country. He's separated from God and himself, he is, he is longing for the strength and the refreshment that comes with the presence of the Lord. It is a picture of desperation and struggle. And, and, and as we read through this psalm, we continue to see his spiritual darkness uh, throughout his words. He's a man who is dejected. He's anxious. He is downcast and troubled. His inner life is a wreck. And this psalm is an honest expression of his experience. And this honest expression, his honesty really is of some value to us so long as we are honest with ourselves. Because his honesty actually invites us to open our own souls and to consider what is really there. And more importantly, to bring what we find there directly to God. To bring it to Jesus by faith. To come and see what's wrong and repent of it. Uh, to come in prayer. And so we would be amiss this morning if we didn't at least uh, consider our own souls and, and what is ailing us. To consider what, it, what pains it is that we carry. What fears reside there. What disappointments linger for us. What anxieties are swelling within us. What sin festers in our souls. As we hold those out and we consider that, we continue to move on in the psalm. And, and, and there's a transition that happens after verse 1, um, and it's a significant one. Uh, it's a change in dialogue. In verse 1, the psalmist speaks directly to God. He says, so pants my soul for you, O God. But following that address, his dialogue moves inward. He becomes self Focused. It's a one-way dialogue. And, 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 and as he's having this dialogue, he comes to this concluding refrain that he repeats three times. But first one in verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And we read those words the first time, and, and we think as we're reading along, okay, he's moving in the right direction. This is a good thing. But then we get to verse 6. And he says, my soul is cast down within me. And we realize, no, he's not really there yet. I mean, he's, he's trying, sure, yes, but he's, he's not there yet. And, and part of the problem is that his dialogue is introverted. It is with himself. And in his self-dialogue, the writer tries to recall various moments from the past in which he might grab a hold of, that he might cling to as a, as a source of help and, and hope. And in verse 4, he looks back to better times in the temple, a time in which he joined the masses in Jerusalem and gathered for worship at the house of God. And this would have been significant for him because the, the earthly temple was a symbol of God's presence with his people. 
And so he looks back on this, and, and this would have been a wonderful time for him, a time that he, 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 he would have longed for and desired after desperately, and we see him do that. And so he, he seems to grab a hold of this memory of a time in which he was at the temple worshiping God as a way to help him in his present circumstance. And then in verse 6, he says, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mitzar. Now, what exactly he's referring to here, um, we aren't given. Uh, perhaps these are places for him that God's faithfulness was evident. Uh, maybe he went on a spiritual retreat to Mount Mitzar one summer and, and, and God really spoke to him. Or perhaps these are places that represent times in his life that he lived and, and was separated from Jerusalem, from the earthly temple. And he remembers how in those places he looked back at the time in which he was in Jerusalem, in God's presence with the worshiping community. Regardless, what he is doing is he's looking for better times. Times that would help him find strength and help in his needs. And then again in verse 8, we, we see the author recalling good days in which God's steadfast love was with him. But it seems that this exercise in memory really only serves to accentuate his present plight. He says, why, God, why have you forgotten me? And then he mourns and expresses the oppression that he's experienced in verse 9. He says that he's taunted all day long in verse 10. He describes his experience in, in verse 7 as the, the deep ocean waters crashing over him, wrecking havoc, leaving him in further darkness and chaos and gloom. And then again, this refrain in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This internal dialogue has left him with only memories that further carry him into his downcast state. And sure, in this refrain that we read, there's an offer of hope. It's really a call to his own soul to hope in God. But as we are reading along with him in the lament, and we've seen these these preceding words, and we've seen this refrain once, and now we see it again. Um, it seems, at least for me, that hope still seems a bit elusive for him. Because there is this kind of tension that we read in the psalmist's words in the middle of the text. These are words between despair and a call for hope. And we really shouldn't easily dismiss this tension that he, that he is experiencing and quickly move on because this tension is one that we as believers often find ourselves in, is it not? For us at times, hope and strength and help may very well seem like an elusive thing. It is not. But in our experience of life, sometimes we find ourselves still in the middle of the text and hope seems elusive to us. And so let me encourage you, as we find ourselves in such ten tension, that's as confusing as that tension may be, 
it actually makes perfect sense. Right? It really does make sense when we think of this tension in terms of the history of redemption, when we think of where we are in the timeline of salvation. Let me explain. This Bible, uh, the Bible speaks of two ages. It speaks of this age marked by sin, suffering, law, death, the kingdom of darkness. And it speaks of that age, a future age, marked by redemption and peace, the spirit, eternal life, the kingdom of glory and, and light. And the Old Testament saw the coming of the Savior as what would bring the world out of this age and into that age. What the people of God in the Old Testament times didn't know was that Christ's coming would come with, that his coming would be separated by a time. There would be this time that is separates his first coming and the second coming, his first advent and the second advent. And what this means uh, then is that there is actually an overlap. These two ages, there's an overlap in ages. This age of sin and death continues from the time of the fall until the return of Christ. And that age of grace and eternal life began with Christ's first coming. And continues for all of eternity. And so it really should be of no surprise to us that we live in this tension. That we wrestle within ourselves with both unbelief and belief. That we struggle with the tension of despair and hope. With shame and justification. With guilt and forgiveness. This tension is a reality that is brought on because we live in an overlap of these two ages. Now, I point that out to say, because the thing that we need, the thing that we need to realize is, and the thing that we're probably asking is, what does faith look like as we live today in the overlapping of these ages, when we face these tensions in our lives, what is it that faith really does? Well, first we need to understand that faith in the absence or is not the absence of struggle and difficulty. Rather, faith is a refusal to let God go in the midst of our pain and distress. Faith laments what ought not be and faith rests in the grace sufficient to endure such days. Faith, it, it, it loosens our grip on the things of this world that we cling to so tightly for looking for help and, and hope and, 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 it, and, and it firms up our grip on Christ on the historic work of Christ, on his life and his, his death, his resurrection and his coming again as our only salvation and our help in times of need. Faith empowers us to look at ourselves honestly, to see what's there and to repent and to receive God's forgiveness in Christ. Faith 
hears the shouts of this age that says there is no hope. And faith responds with a call from this future age that says hope in God for you shall again praise him your salvation and your God. And so I leave us in this tension at this point in the service because because that's where we live. And faith is exercised as we gather together as God's people and we stand together and we come and we worship Him knowing that He's the one who resolves such tension. And that in Him there really is hope. Let me pray. Father, we are thankful that Christ has come. We're thankful that you sent your only Son, that we might be brought out of this kingdom of darkness and brought into your kingdom of light. We give you thanks because you have poured out your Spirit. You have united us to Christ and we thus possess redemption and peace and eternal life and hope. These these realities of that age that you have brought in Christ. And so we ask that as we live in the tension of these times that you would confirm our faith. That you would help us not to quickly move beyond our struggles, but, but to learn to hold tightly to you in the midst of such pain. Father, teach us to lament and to mourn what is wrong, to, to have a kind of righteous anger for the way things ought are not um, as they ought to be and, and give us the faith to rest in your grace that is sufficient to endure such days. Father, strengthen our faith that we might loosen our grip on the things of this world, the things that we grab a hold of and we, we try to cling to as, as some kind of help and, and that really leave us only further cast down and, and cause us to grip more tightly onto Christ and His work, His life, His death, His resurrection, His coming again as our only salvation. Empower us, Uh, to face ourselves honestly, our struggles, our disappointments, our sin, that we might repent and to receive your forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask that as we hear a world screaming out to us that there is no hope that you would uh, bring to our hearts and our minds by faith this truth that there is hope in you. And that we would indeed praise you as our salvation and our God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue to sing. Thank you.
Continue in Psalm 43. It is printed in your bulletin previously. You can turn back there and find the words. The psalmist continues Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your lights and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And together the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains Forever. Now, Psalm 43 is a bit of a contrast to the prior self-talking and kind of memory-dwelling approach uh, to find hope that we read of in Psalm 42. Here, his internal dialogue moves outward and he seeks God in prayer. And in doing so, the psalmist finds or makes real progress and, and he finds real hope. And because what the psalmist understands is that God alone is the ultimate satisfaction of his soul. And thus, while his dialogue began as this internal thing, he still knew that it is God alone who would be his help. And so ultimately, he does turn directly to God and thereby finds hope for his soul, the hope that he longed to discover again. And as we begin in Psalm 43, he, he, the writer, he calls out to the Lord to vindicate him, to defend his cause against these ungodly, deceitful, and unjust men. And it's fascinating because in Psalm 42, it's almost as if the psalmist just laments over having these enemies at all. But now he asks God to actually come to his aid. And, and, and while there's still lament, and we read it in Psalm 2, he says, Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. While there's still this lament, now there's a, a note of great hope. And we see it in a number of ways. It's actually shown to us in a contrast, in two contrasts. Uh, the first one, in Psalm 42, verse 9, and in 43, verse 2, 
the writer asks, why do I go about mourning? And this word mourning has the connotation of darkness and gloom. But then in 43 verse 3, he asks God to dispel his experience of darkness and gloom with light and with truth. And he does so because he knows that God's light and truth would actually bring him back into the very presence of God, to his holy hill, as he says, to his dwelling, to the very one whom he longed to be with from the very outset of his words. And the second contrast is that of the temple in 42 verse 9. Uh, remember, he calls the memory of his time when he was in, in the temple with God's people. But it, but it was a memory that seems to only having, uh, have the effect of accentuating his pain in the present. But now, here in Psalm 43, there's great hope that he would, as he says in verse 4, that he would once again go to the altar of God and there he would praise him with the lyre and to do so with exceeding joy. And then finally, he concludes with these, these words again of this refrain, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's the same words as before. Um, it's what came before, but, but at least for me, when I, when I read these, there seems to be a change in the accent. Because in the, the first, in Psalm 42, there's these preceding laments and there's this internal dialogue that the writer has with his own soul. And, and, and for me, it, it seems to bring the accent down on the first part, the soul that is cast down. But now the prayer has changed things. The accent now falls to the latter parts with this refrain that, that comes. And, and while there's still sorrow and the sorrow remains in his life, now there's this strong conviction that God really does hear his prayers and he will answer him. And God did indeed hear his prayers. And God really did answer him. You see, because what the psalmist ultimately longed for, what he prayed for, has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our defense and our vindication. I think of Paul's words in Romans 7. There, Paul is expressing at the end of the chapter the harsh reality of living in the tension of this overlapping ages. He, he wants to do what is right, but he, he finds this law within him. It was the law of the old age, a law that, that seeks to suppress the doing right and seeks to do evil. He, he desires to follow the law of God in his inner being, a reality of this, this future, this coming age, and, and a reality that comes by the Spirit. But he sees in his body, in the members of his body, another law, that law of the old age that wages war against him. It's the law of sin. And he, he has this self-analysis, and it, and it brings him to the end of himself, and he laments, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? And then these words, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And then chapter 8 opens with these words of assurance. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Christ is our vindication. Christ came and he was without sin and he bore the sinner, the sins of sinners like you and like me upon the cross and, and, the, and the spirit. He, he unites us to him by faith so that what belongs to Christ would be our reality, justification, redemption, adoption, righteousness. Christ is our vindication. And then Paul goes on in, in later in, in chapter 8 of Romans, and he says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Christ, you see, is our vindication. And Jesus is the light and the truth who leads us into the very presence of God. Again, Paul in Romans chapter 1 speaks of man who left to our own sin. And he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And again, in Ephesians 4.17, he says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We hear those words and we think of Paul's lament, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the light of God who came to dispel the darkness of our foolish hearts and the gloom of this age. Jesus is the truth who came to illuminate our minds that we might turn to God by faith and rest upon Christ alone as the salvation of our souls. And he came for us, for the likes of us sinners. Why? that we in him might dwell in the sweet presence of the Lord, that, that he would be our eternal home and that we would praise him with exceeding joy. In our days and moments filled with the tension of despair and hope, of unbelief and faith, of suffering and, and rest, Christ is the one upon whom we cast our souls because He is our vindication and He is our lights. He is our truth. He is the one who brings us into the very presence of God that our souls desire after. 
Jesus said it this way, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It's the words of the psalmist. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Please pray with me. Father, we know all too well the words of Paul, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. (laughs) We give you thanks through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are grateful, Lord Jesus, that you came and that you were obedient to your father. In the very ways that we have not been obedient and followed after our own ways, you were obedient in your life. You were without sin. You were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, uh, that you might atone for the sins of sinners like us. And so we realize that in our own disobedience, our vindication is not in our own righteousness, uh, but in you. You are our defense and our vindication. It is in you that we have justification, that we are right with you, that we can stand at peace and in the pleasure of your Father. You have given us redemption. You have bought us out of uh, slavery to sin. Purchase us from death, given us eternal life, that you, we might serve you and praise you. You have given us adoption, made us your sons and daughters, heirs with Christ. Oh, children of God, how sweet that is. And you are sanctifying us and assured us of complete sanctification that we might be with you. And no full freedom. Father, Lord Jesus, you are our light and our truth. (laughs) And you have brought us into the very presence of our Heavenly Father. For that, all we can do is praise your holy name. And this we do. Amen. Please stand and let us sing. of my weary soul on thee when sorrows rise on thee when waves of trouble my fainting hope relies to thee I tell each rising grief for thou alone can see Word can bring us sweet relief.
may fall 